Welcome to Top Dog Podcast. I'm Katja. Hello, and I'm Adrian, and we talk to people who do amazing things with and for dogs. And if that's your thing, you've come to the right place because we speak dog. Yes, we do. That means let's unleash the dogs. This program is rated D for dog. It contains sniffing, scratching, and doggy themes. It's a miracle. On four legs. Packaged in a book. And if you count it, there are five. Once more, we go to Paris. To meet not only one, but two dogs. Or top chien, comme tu veux. If you like. Yeah, but first we go to the top dog odd spot. That's a spot where we tell each other stories. Funny stories. Stories that make you maybe cringe sometimes or even cry. Katja, what have you got today for us? Ooh, a very cute Instagrammable story. It's a story of um, unlikely friendship. So there is a, a lady in Lithuania, in Vilnius. Her name is Diana. And she already has a dog. And to the family, she added, would you like to guess, Adrian, what kind of animal? Um, well, people have dogs, have cats, snakes, um, rabbits, elephants, <laughs> maybe. Elephant would be fun. <laughs> it's a ferret. Oh. His name is Paco. <laughs> They're great, too, because you can actually train them like dogs. Mm, that I didn't know. Well, they get on swimmingly and uh, Diana shares the photos on Instagram. And uh, some of them, when they play, they do play rough sometimes. They look a little bit scary to me because both of them got teeth. But the, the ones that are super cute are the ones when they're having a snooze together. <laughs> of course. And does the ferret make the dog uh, sort of crawl into holes and burrows and all that stuff? No, but uh, it looks like Paco, the ferret, is actually sleeping in the dog bed. <laughs> and the poor dog sleeps outside <laughs> on the floor. Very unusual friendship. But, you know, if it works, fine. Dogs. Dogs, they have four legs. They bark, they want attention, be loved, they want to play, they want food. Sometimes they destroy things like uh, your mattress, pillow or even shoes. And they give you joy, are good company and they might even give you some sense of security. Hmm. However, if you're really honest to yourself, then you have to admit that they're actually more than that. Um, dogs really are heroes, if not miracles. That's right. You just said it. Not just miracles, but four-legged miracles. Laura Greaves has met quite a few of them. Yeah, and she recognizes them as miracles because, without some small element of chance, her life and theirs would have been very different indeed, as she points out in her latest book. The book is called Miracle Mats. And in it, Laura Greaves shares the stories of miraculous dogs who conquered seemingly insurmountable odds. So those dogs whose future seemed bleak and dogs that weren't expected to make it. But in the end, they triumphed and thrived in the face of incredible adversity. 
I had the opportunity to talk to Laura Greaves on Skype. And Laura is a multi-award winning Australian journalist, author and proud crazy dog lady. She has spent nearly 20 years writing for newspapers and magazines in Australia and around the world. She's also the former editor of Dog's Life magazine, now a freelance writer. Laura has written extensively for countless dog and pet-specific print and web publications, and she is the author of several books about miraculous and amazing dogs. Hello, Laura. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. And I'm very excited to talk to you because uh, you seem to be, well, we can say you're a dog expert, you're a dog lover in, in the true sense, because you used to be the editor of uh, Dog Lovers magazine in Australia, is that right? That's right, yes. I was uh, editor of Dog's Life for a yep. couple of years, and um, I've always written in one way or another about dogs all through my career. And you still are, because uh, you have quite a few books up your sleeves. You wrote a book called The Rescuers, one is called Dogs with Jobs, another one Amazing Dogs with Amazing Jobs, then you wrote Incredible Dog Journeys, and now your latest book, Miracle Mutts. I haven't read them all, but it seems to me that you are fascinated by dogs, because you call them just simply four-legged miracles. I do, yes. I, I often say that dogs are a gift we don't deserve, and I, I really believe it. Um, and I often refer to myself as a crazy dog lady as well, because I just think dogs are incredible. But beyond that, I'm fascinated by the bond between dogs and people. Um, I think it can be so profound and so powerful, and the things that dogs are not only capable of doing, but are willing to do for us. Um, it's just really, really wonderful. That's the miracle probably that they are willing to do anything for us. Yeah, that's that? right. They're so trusting. And, you know, even in awful situations of dogs that have been abused or neglected or otherwise mistreated by humans, they can bounce back from that. Um, and they don't dwell on whatever's happened to them in the past. You know, they're willing to put their trust in us again, which I just find completely phenomenal, to be honest. I did read the introduction of your book, Miracle Mutts, with great interest because I didn't know you beforehand and it was quite clear to me why you're actually writing about dogs when I wrote your introduction. And there was an interesting part in it where you sort of described what it was like for you when you wrote your first published story about a dog. Can you tell us more about that one? Yes, that was um it was a bit of a sad story um but it, it sort of led me to where I am today I think um it was the story of my childhood dog Robbie who was a West Highland white terrier and I got him for Christmas when I was 10 so it was just about the most exciting gift any child could receive and we were inseparable for just over a year um and then very sadly he was run over um and died and as well as being absolutely devastated, I was furious. I'd never felt anger like it in my young life because the driver that hit Robbie um, didn't stop, just left him essentially to die in the gutter and um, went on their way. And I just couldn't fathom how somebody could 
do that to to any living creature, let alone a tiny dog. Um, so I decided I was already very interested in writing and I was always scribbling stories and poems and all of that. So I decided to use the only tools that were really available to me at that time in my life to have a voice. And I wrote a letter about my outrage to my local newspaper. And it was not only printed, so it was the first time I ever saw my name in print, but the editor of the paper actually rang me up and told me how moved she had been by the letter and and thanked me for writing to her. And it was really the first time that I understood how powerful stories can be um, and, and words and writing, but primarily that storytelling thing of being able to move people and being able to change people's minds and, and have a real impact on people. And that was a very formative lesson to receive, albeit in a fairly unpleasant way. And I certainly think, I mean, I think about Robbie probably every day and and that lesson and that experience I'm have no doubt has has led me to the career that I have and to the enduring passion for dogs that I have. Probably it's a bit of a mix. I mean, we can call it your first success with your with your writing back then and then your love for dogs. So this makes is that is that the passion that makes the passion for dogs or, or do you think there's something else mixed in as well? I mean, I think that's certainly true. I do love to write, um, although more accurately, it's probably fair to say I love having written, <laughs> like Dorothy Parker used to say, um, when I'm doing it. It was very hard and terrible and I question, you know, I've chosen this to be my career. Um, but no, I do love it and I love being able to connect with people that, you know, I, I would really have no reason to know, um, you know, if our paths didn't cross because I'm telling the stories of their dogs and the amazing things that they've done. And it's, I never lose sight of what a privilege it is to have people put their trust in me to tell those stories. Um, because often, you know, the, the type of books that I write are normally about inspirational dogs that have done incredible things. And often those stories start out in quite an unhappy way, you know, the way the story with, with Robbie did. Um, these people and their dogs have often been through really terrible traumatic experiences only to then go forward and triumph in one way or another. So I, I'm asking people to trust me with some of the worst days of their lives and um, and they do that and I find that incredible and it's a great honour to me to be able to tell those stories. So I think that's part of it as well, just getting to know people and to share stories that we might not necessarily know otherwise. When you say people, people trust you, are you talking more to uh, women or to men? Because my experience is that, especially Australian men, and I want to be racist here, but uh, it's not that easy to talk about feelings with men. But as soon as uh, dogs are involved feelings are really flowing like especially when uh, a man has lost a dog that's when yeah, you see I, them crying do you make that experience as well i think that's true to an extent certainly um i have to say my books are probably a fairly even split between male and female dog owners they're also not all australian um there's stories in in my books from the us and, and europe and uh, the uk and I mean, I've definitely found, because I interview all my uh, my dog owners in person when I can, but usually over the phone or via Skype, and I've 
frequently experienced getting a dog owner on the phone and initially they're quite um, maybe a little bit taciturn, you know, they're not really embellishing their answers. It's all a bit kind of um, perfunctory. But once we start talking about the dogs and once we get going, I found that they really, everyone loves to talk about their dog. You know, that seems to be a really universal kind of experience. So it's definitely true that I have found people who are initially maybe nervous about being interviewed or just reluctant to kind of uh, embellish much, certainly hit their stride and, and, and offer up all kinds of things once we get talking about dogs. And I certainly have cried on the phone with many, many dog owners. Um, and I cry while I write the books as well. <laughs> I tend to think that if yeah. I cry a lot when I'm writing it, it's probably going to be a good book. <laughs> That's right. Well, then let's go back to the book Miracle Mutts. You mentioned mm -hmm. before that there are, how many stories are in this book? How many dogs do you describe in that book? There's 15 stories 15. in this book. And one. they're from all over the world, different parts of the world, like uh, mm -hmm. the US, England, uh, Australia, I assume. What other country? There is a story in the book that the dog now lives in England, but she's a uh, Beirut street dog. So she certainly covered a lot of ground. There's a dog in Sri Lanka. Um, so it's quite international. <laughs> so how do you find these stories? Where do you find them? It's interesting, actually. Um, my background is in journalism. So research and, and, and finding people is quite, you know, it's second nature to me at this point. But um One thing that I've found with writing these books is that there's definitely an element of serendipity to it. So I liken it to that thing where you never notice, um, you know, Holdens on the road until you're driving a Holden yourself and then you see them everywhere. It's a similar thing when I start working on a new book. So with Miracle Mutts, I was looking for stories of dogs that had been through something terrible, had survived it and had then gone on to thrive and, and do wonderful things for people, for other dogs, for their communities. And I'd never really looked for stories like that before. But once I did, I just, they were everywhere. They just, I mean, my reputation as a crazy dog lady precedes me. So everyone who knows me tends to send me links to things and tag me and stuff on social media. But it also very much feels like the universe just kind of comes to the party and presents these <laughs> stories kind of everywhere I look. So that's happened with all five of the books I've written so far and I'm working on another one now and, and the same thing's happening again. So I find it very interesting. Mm. The stories in, in all your books, are they more or less of the same nature or has this one, Miracle Mutts, something something different added, something special? What's the core um, of the core message? Well, all of the books that I've written about dogs revolve around a theme. So the first one was Incredible Dog Journeys, and it was about dogs that had gone to great lengths to get back to their people. Then the second one I did was Dogs with Jobs. So that was all about working dogs, uh, but not necessarily the ones we immediately think of. So not just police dogs, not just farm dogs, you know, not just detection dogs. You know, I had, I've got a dog in there who runs ultra marathons. Um, there's another one who works at the Maritime Museum here in Sydney, whose job is to chase seagulls away from ships. Um, so just some really interesting, quirky dog occupations. Then The Rescuers was all about dogs that had been rescued, whether from, you know, pounds, shelters, rescue groups, off the street, that kind of thing, and then went on to rescue someone. Um, that was 
you know, literal in some cases. There's a dog in there who saved his owners from a house fire. There's another one who saved a little boy from drowning in a dam. But there are also stories of um, more spiritual rescue. So there's a, in fact, the dog on the cover, Clove, um, gives her owner the impetus to um, stay clean. He he was he had substance abuse issues, and and he credits her to a large part um, of his recovery. So Miracle Mutts, to come back to the recent one, is all about um, what sure. about amazing dogs with amazing jobs. Oh, that one is a children's version of Dogs with Jobs. So some of the stories in Amazing Dogs with Amazing Jobs were also in Dogs with Jobs, but I've rewritten them for a younger audience. And then there's also a bunch of new stories in there as well, just for that book. So that was a lot of fun to write as well. Um, And then, yes, so the theme in Miracle Mutts is all dogs that have experienced something awful um you know as i mentioned earlier trauma abuse neglect injury illness um abandonment all that kind of thing and have then um you know miraculously survived that and then gone on to to do great things but i think to answer your original question about the underlying message um that one for me is is about um how do i put it it's about a dog's indomitable spirit and it's about a dog's ability to live 100% in the present but it's also about these amazing people who are willing to take chances on dogs that other people might overlook or ignore um, or write off as you know not able to to be saved for one reason or another these are people who have gone really the extra mile to make sure that these dogs get the life that they deserve Um, which I think is really so wonderful. Now, you said you write about dogs that have experienced awful things, but I can feel that uh, all the stories are actually, in the end, a feel-good story with a happy ending. Is that right? Yes, that's absolutely true. They all work out wonderfully. And even though some of the dogs have subsequently passed away, um, they all had wonderful lives and they all overcame whatever it was that they had been through and then absolutely thrived for the rest of their days. So, yes, they're all very much happy and uplifting. Could you give us an example, one story or two? Absolutely. Well, the one that, um, in fact, it's the first story in the book and it really seems to... Uh, shock people I suppose to begin with is the story of Maggie she was um, a street dog in Beirut and she was found in a horrible state she had been shot 17 times including in her eyes she had then lost both of her eyes due to infection arising from the untreated bullet wounds she'd had one of her ears cut off um, and she was just generally starving and and malnourished Um, and it seems you know what's really horrific about that is from what I've learned about Maggie she was essentially used as target practice for someone you know someone was just thrill-seeking because the nature of her wounds not none of them would have killed her outright so it just seemed like someone was torturing her for fun which is just so horrific to even contemplate Um, but she was rescued. She found her way to a shelter in Beirut, and my understanding is there's not many of them. There isn't really a culture of um, animal rescue in Lebanon, from what I'm told. Um, And from there, she was spotted on a website by a woman in the UK who just made it her mission in life to move heaven and earth and get this dog out of Beirut and into England. 
which she did. It took several months and she had to raise a lot of money and raise a lot of awareness and get a lot of people on side. But she did. And Maggie came to the UK and was fostered by a really lovely young woman called Casey, very quickly became a foster fail <laughs> and now lives per- permanently with Casey. And she actually works as a therapy dog now. So she goes into um, aged care facilities, local universities, and she just um, has a wonderful therapeutic effect on, on elderly people, stressed out students. Um, and she's also become quite a local celebrity in, in Brighton where she lives. Everyone knows her and she likes to run up to people in the park and present herself as if to say, here I am, you can love me. <laughs> so she has no fear of people. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that I find so incredible about dogs is their willingness to trust us no matter what they've been through. And Maggie is certainly testament to that. Hey, what a great story. Now, what do you think, what does make people who goes to such a great length to actually rescue a dog from the other side of the world. I mean, no, England and Lebanon is not that far apart like from here, but still, it's a, it's a great distance. And you could pick up any dog in any street corner. Why would people go to such great lengths and costs, financial costs, to rescue a dog from down there? What do you, what do you, what do you think what that is? What drives that's them? That's a great question. I, that's something that I have given a lot of thought to. And I'm not sure I... I really have answered that question satisfactorily to myself. But from what I have gathered in writing the book and in talking to a lot of people who have done things just like that, the people involved in those kinds of rescues have often been through some kind of trauma themselves. And whether they see their own experience um, reflected in the story of the dog or whether they have overcome something themselves and they want to kind of, um, you know, be involved in, in making life better for another creature. It really, um, that is a, a theme that I see kind of relatively often with the people that I interview. Um, but I mean, you know, I can, even from my own experience, I rescued a dog earlier this year and I absolutely was not looking. I've already, I already had two dogs and I was not looking for a third But I saw this dog in the pound and I just knew instantly on the spot that I would do whatever it took to, to rescue her and to make her a part of my family. And even now, I actually write about this in the introduction to Miracle Mutts. I can't really explain even to myself what moved me to do that. There was just some part of me that was not prepared to let this dog um, suffer anymore. And I think... A lot of people perhaps get to that point where they think someone should do something and then they realize I could be that someone. Do you ever get that feeling when you walk past a pet shop and you see these puppies in the window? Oh my God, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> If I had yeah. infinite money and infinite space, I would have, you know, 65 dogs. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah, so you mentioned your third dog and as you describe it in your book, its name is Coco. Yes, to have Coco the Kelpie. One, yeah, and uh, it had to put up with two other dogs that you have in your family, and even these dogs are not easy dogs as far as I can tell. No, that's right. I mean, they're kind of miracles in themselves. Um, and in fact, it was my old boy, Tex, he's 12. He initially um, inspired the idea for Miracle Mutts because when I first conceived the idea, it was going to just be about medical miracle 
type dogs. Um, in fact, there's a show on SBS that I love, The Super Vet, um, about Noel Fitzpatrick. Um, he's a vet in the UK and he does all these incredible world first procedures to save the lives of animals. So I wanted to do just those medical stories. But the more I looked into it, the more I realized you know, you don't have to just be a medical miracle to be a miracle. Um, but yes, Tex was the one who initially gave me the idea. So he he, um, he has uh, thyroid disease, arthritis, leukemia, epilepsy, an anxiety disorder, and an incurable lung disease. Um, so he definitely has the odds <laughs> stacked against him. He's an underdog, you might say. But he never, ever lets that kind of dull his lust for life he's just goes through every day embraces every moment every adventure and I just think that's incredible and I also think a lot of people wouldn't have um put up with Dex for want of a better term um for as long as as we have I mean the money we've spent on him and you know he's on so many pills every day he practically rattles when he walks but he's he's my guy you know and um I would do whatever it takes for him and and all of the people interviewed for Miracle Mutts would say the exact same thing, and I'm sure the vast majority of pet owners would. Yeah, as you would for your children as well. That's I mean, right. There's no difference, is there? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Laura Greaves, your latest book, Miracle Mutts, available now everywhere. So are the other books as well. We wish you good luck, very good luck with that book, and uh, hopefully it does inspire many, many, many more people. I hope so. And um, all the best and thank you very much for your chat. Thank you so much, Adrian. That was journalist Laura Greaves talking about her book Miracle Mutts and that's been published by Penguin Books and is available now. Laura Greaves has also published following titles, Dog Journeys, Dogs with Jobs, The Rescuers and the children's book Amazing Dogs with Amazing Jobs. Oh, well, that sounds awesome. You can find more information on penguin.com.au. That's the publisher. Yeah, but I can reveal here as well that Laura has also written three romantic comedy novels. Can you believe that? <laughs> one is called Be My Baby, the other one The X Factor, and the third one Two Weeks Till Christmas. And as I said, romantic comedy novels. But the special thing about it is that all have an extensive part of uh, of of a cast of cheeky canines. So she can't just let go of dogs. They're even in, in romantic novels. Talking of cheeky canines, which I love, imagine a dog that is cocky enough to bring the Parisian traffic to a standstill. This did happen when Christophe Mallet was young and living in Paris. So he has two my top dogs in his memory and he's going to share them with us now. Christoph, tell us a story about a dog. I've had two dogs in my life uh, but it's funny how the first one probably uh, sticks in my mind because he was my first dog, of course. Uh, and I was a child and I was a, I grew up with him. Uh, he was called Where was Rocky. 
when was this? Uh, uh, yeah, maybe I was five, so maybe early eighties. That sort of that sort of time. But uh, I grew up with him. He died when he was fourteen, uh, so maybe I was actually a bit younger because I must have been. Yeah, I must have been two or three actually when we got the first dog. But I grew up with him, you know. Mm. And then very uh, sad, of course, when when he passed away. And where was that? In Paris, okay. or just outside Paris. Uh, but uh, I loved him because he was just a complete loose cannon, uh, and you know he was a crossbreed. In terms of the, the, so it was not a pure breed. It was definitely a, a crossbreed, but he was just a loose cannon in the most free way. Uh, in the fact that he, he just, you know, didn't want to be settled in. And we, my parents and my grandparents, had to really uh, put uh, a leash on him, you know, in the garden or anything for him not to just run away because that's what we would do all day and then come back for food. Uh, so, I, looking back, I just love, I love his spirit, you know. And what made this dog so special? Uh, well, the fact that it was my first dog when I was a child is already special. But the the fact that you know th- those escapades he was doing during the day, and we're talking city center, we're talking you know very close Parisian suburbia, uh, so it's very you know uh, busy and it's, it's a sort of busy area. And that dog would just um, would just go away and then come back for food. And I remember my parents and grandparents. So my my parents and my grandparents had a, a house that was sharing a couple of walls, so the gardens were uh, almost joint. Um, and I remember my grandparents uh, and my granddad and my dad working all day, you know, to build a wall which was something like more than two meters high. And Rocky was the name of the dog. And uh, I remember vividly when they finished, they were so pleased with themselves. Done a good job, you know. The concrete was on, everything was was perfect. And then Rocky, they, they just opened the leash, let Rocky out, and then you just went, seized up the size of the wall. Took a few steps out and then jumped the whole wall. Oh, just like that. Yeah, and then it's almost <laughs> like maybe it's my imagination as a kid, but I love to I love to keep it as a as a reality. But I almost see him on top of the wall, looking at us, going, "You guys are monkeys," and then <laughs> just go. You know, right? Uh, little stories like this, like a f- few times you would you would just go away, and by by dinner time you would just go, "Where is where is the dog? Where is Rocky? Where is he?" And then you'll find him. In front uh, of the, uh, in front of our house, in the street, blocking cars, and just being like a king, you know, releasing the traffic when he when he wanted to, <laughs> uh, not when he was told to. So, in a way, I'd love to think that there is a lot of his spirit in me today. Oh, okay. Not that I'm blocking cars, but so I'm trying to be free in my head. <laughs> you, all, you always want to become a traffic controller. Exactly, I'm a traffic warden. <laughs> no, I just want to be free. You know, in a lot of uh, that's what we expect, uh, I guess, from life. that's what I expect from life. Yeah. And what about the second dog? Second dog was a, a complete different uh, perspective. It was a Westie, a West Island Terrier, so a very tiny uh, pocket rocket sort of dog. Uh, and same thing, it was a present for my sister when she turned 15. Uh, so that, that was in the early 90s. And I chose that dog with my dad. And it's actually a funny story how we got that dog because we actually for this time went to a shop uh, to purchase a dog. And then we went and we were going to go for a Cavalier in King Charles that we saw and then sort of my parents and set their eye on and then we we left uh, the house to go and pick it up and then we reached the shop and my dad uh, forgot his wallet so we had to drive back which was another 15 20 minutes and by the time we went back and got the wallet and the dog was gone the dog was sold on oh, you know uh, right. so we were sort of oh, 
that's a bit of a deception and I'm not very happy about it. Uh, but then you know, we looked at other dogs and then all dogs were in little cages and they were all super quiet. But this one at the corner was a complete lunatic. He was barking his head off, looking at us straight in the eye. So we decided to, I decided to say, I want to have a look at him because you want a dog that's got a bit of life in him. Um, and then the lady opened the, the, the cage, the door, and the dog just went, ran, did like three laps of the store and then jumped on me and three laps of the store again. And, and that's how we chose him. And he was just a brilliant dog. And, and right. I used to play, you know, fighting game with him. So like, you know, you just pretend fighting, but he would stop when you say stop and then yeah. again and then stop and then again. So just, you know, for me, dogs are memories of, of her early childhood and childhood and growing up. So I grew up with two different dogs, with two different spirits, but they were, both of them are a bit of a fighters and, and, and irreverent, I guess. And that's what you are today. Yeah, maybe. Maybe a bit <laughs> French in them. <laughs> okay. Well, Christophe, thank you very much. You're welcome for sharing your story with us. Christophe Mallet and his two cheeky My Dogs. Oh, mon chien. Doesn't sound, it just sounds so romantic, doesn't it, having a dog in Paris? I wish I could do that too. You'd have to move to Paris. What? Yeah, that's easy, isn't it? Just move to Paris, get <laughs> yourself a dog. Anyway, so, yeah, let's stop dreaming because we haven't got time for that anymore because this is the end of our show. There they are again. Hans, Gunther and their dog, Frederica. Oh, dear. Indeed, indeed, regulars. Hello, Hans. Hello, Gunther. Hello, hello. It's me, Hans. How is it going? What's up? Thank you very well. Hello, Katja. I like your French. Merci beaucoup. What can I do for you guys? Well, I just want to say, you know, talking to Laura Greaves about her book, Miracle Mutts, she is right. She is so right. Dogs are truly miraculous. A miracle. Oh, there are more than that. More than what? More than the miracle. Uh, yes, like what? Uh, they are, um, they have... Finished? Yes. Good. Where were we? Ah, yes. Dogs are truly four-legged miracles. Every dog is. Also... Our own Frederike. Yes, Frederike, she is... What? Uh, quite something. But Frederike is not only a miracle, Frederike also does miracles. Oh, yes, big time. To be precise, she is a magician. She can perform magic. The other day we had a mouse in the lounge room. Frederica didn't just chase it. Instead, she stared at it, gave it this big glare and... Bingo! The mouse dropped dead. Amazing. So, we thought if Frederica, with her unique talent, had a proper tool, you know, a real magic wand, she then actually could perform magic we all can benefit from. Yes, we could become witch. Rich. Yeah, I said that already. No, you said witch. Witch? Yes, witch. But it's not witch, it's witch. Ah, uh, rich. Ah, you make me all confused. Anyway, I always wanted to be a witch man. You said it again. What? Witch. Ah, rich. I always wanted to be a rich man. And now the time has finally come. Because we found this magic wand at the flea market. Although the man who sold it to us was a bit crazy. Weird crazy. He said, be careful what you wish for. Ha <laughs> ha, what would he know? Here, Frederica, 
take the magic wand and do your magic. Put it in your mouth. Good girl. You stay where you are and I stand over here. Ready? Frederica, I wish I was a... Be careful what you wish for. Don't say which. As if. Frederica, I wish I was a witch. Uh, no, uh, uh, I mean... Oops, too late. I'm a witch. You really are a witch. You even have a wart on your nose. I have to go to the forest. I have to cook my magic potion. Where is my broom? Here it is. Hop onto it and here we go. Watch the window. Too late. Right through the glass. Am I dreaming? Is that for real? Obviously. Well, we told you. Is Hans really flying into the forest? On a broom? Obviously. Must be fun. Yes, I wish I could fly. Ooh, careful what you wish for. Frederica can hear you. Oh, too late. Oh no, Frederica turned Gunther into a fly. I wish that... Careful, careful what you wish for, Katja. You better say nothing now. Frederick is looking at you. Oh yes, better turn Skype off now. Yes, quick, quick, quick. She's waving the magic wand. Yeah, really right on time because this is finally the end of the show. In which we heard about miracle dogs. Dogs that weren't expected to make it but triumphed and thrived in the face of incredible adversity. We met a dog that liked to stop the traffic in Paris. And we had a close encounter with a dog that miraculously does miracles. Let's say performs scary magic. And if you like that magic, if you like today's podcast, then tell your friends. Listen to us on www.topdog.space. You can also find us in your favorite podcast app or podcast portal. Bye-bye and say hello to your dog from me. And I say bye-bye as well and be careful what you wish for. Bye.